Okay, I really want to thank the Lord, thank Ryan, thank the search team, and many people have been kind to us already this weekend. It's been a spiritual adventure coming down here. In fact, so much so has this been a a sense of spiritual adventure. It triggers memories of uh, our family's reading and also watching the movie versions of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, How many of you would be familiar? I'm wondering and guessing that how many of you are familiar with Narnia, whether in the story or the movie form? Yeah, I would think so. And uh, for those hands that weren't raised so everyone could be on the same page early on, those Chronicles of Narnia are stories of children from England who are transported supernaturally to another land, Narnia. You know, in the first three of the stories, in their publication form and in the movie form, are The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Each time in each of those three stories, those children have this amazing transition from where they, are, they were at the beginning of the story to Narnia. First time, literally, through a wardrobe in a professor's home. The second time, from a train station to Narnia. And then the third time, they're looking at a, uh, a painting. And the painting has a ship on the seas. And it seems as if the ship is actually moving. There's a splash, a spray of salt water that comes out of the picture. And then they're swept into the picture. In some ways, really not overplaying it, that's the way I feel coming here to Cayman. Cayman, sorry, I'm still getting it down. And so um, that adventure sense is something that I kind of bring to this morning's message. This morning I want to both share uh, my growing understanding of what the Christian life is about, but also some excerpts of the spiritual adventure journey that God's taken me and our family on. And uh, in Narnia, I really, really appreciated the way the end of the first book closed because the children were able to share with a professor about their experience of going through his wardrobe and then coming back, but being in Narnia. And the professor didn't, uh, you know, treat them unkindly. In fact, very kindly, even to the level of counseling them about perhaps another opportunity to go to Narnia. And this is the way it goes at the end of that story. It says, the professor, who was a very remarkable man, didn't tell them not to be silly or not to tell lies, but believed the whole story. No, he said, I don't think it will be any good trying to go back through the wardrobe door. You won't get into Narnia again by that route. Yes, of course, you'll get back to Narnia again someday. Once a king in Narnia, always a king in Narnia. But don't go trying to use the same route twice. So I believe as we enter the Christian life, it is if we enter a story, God's story, and on different occasions, there are those breakthrough points. And when I first came to know the Lord, I couldn't have framed it out in this way. And you'll see the... uh, Overall presentation, let's see, is the, that's the entryway. It's as if the entryway for me coming to Cayman. And, uh, but then the next slide has the outline, which is on the back of your program. And so this is what we'll walk through. This frame for the Christian life, and then from the frame of the Christian life to an understanding of discipleship, and then specifically looking at Deuteronomy 6, a summary of that, and then trying to apply it, these discipleship basics, to the closest relationships that we have. And 
to understand where I first really enter the Christian story personally, it was before my senior year of high school. Maybe a little bit more background is I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, went to church regularly each Sunday and the other days that were important in the calendar. It seemed to me as if God and faith and Christianity were part of something really big. But I felt this distance between whatever it was supposed to be and what I was knowing. In fact, when I would think about heaven, what would come quickly to my mind is a quote from a comedian that would say, I wouldn't join any club that would let me in. Because meaning saying, you know, if the low bar is that you'd let me in, it must not be much of a club. And I was thinking, well, you know, if I can just get into heaven by showing up for an hour or so, I can't figure that's much of a place. But I kept on coming. And then in my last week of my summer job before my last year of high school, uh, I was working in a men's clothing company, doing stock and shipping, moving the clothing around. And, and on a regular basis, we'd uh, have truck drivers come, and we'd unload the truck and, and uh, load it back up with clothes going off to different stores. And I really enjoyed this one truck driver named Larry. Uh, Larry just kind of exuded personality. He told enjoyable stories, had a sense of humor. And then one day in this last week before I would go to American football practices yeah, at the end of the summer, that Larry said, Rich, you mind if we skip break today? I thought, no, I mind if we skip break. And I thought, here starts the next episode with Larry or conversation with Larry. I said, I don't mind skipping break at all, but uh, what's happening? It must be something special. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to teach a Bible class for young people. I said, oh, I have some questions. Is that okay? And he always said, sure, because I wanted to know more about this God, faith, Christianity as part of something big and didn't think me just showing up was enough, just being there and showing up. So I, I asked questions of Larry, and his, his answers just fed me for more questions. It was going back and forth. And after a while, he goes, Rich, you really seem interested after all. I said, I really am. He goes, okay, let's finish up all the work. And he went to the cab of his truck. He picked up a New Testament and a couple of pamphlets, went over to the McDonald's fast food restaurant in the shopping mall, and he led me through answers in the New Testament. And he took me through a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, some may be familiar with. Such a simple presentation of the good news message that God loves us, has a plan for our lives, that we all sin, we all miss God's standards in our thoughts, words, and actions in one way. Had no problem admitting to that. And then that there was an answer, though, that that's why Jesus died on the cross, that all those things that we've done wrong, God dealt once and for all by letting Jesus take the hit for it. And then, it wasn't a matter of just knowing it on a head level. It was a matter of receiving it personally, that message. And so Larry led me through a little prayer in the back of the booklet. And at that point, that I trusted Jesus as my Savior and decided to follow him as the Lord of my life. But then I thought, at the end of the conversation, I said, Larry, I got this little booklet. Now I'm part of this, something this big. What happens next? Oh, I got my little gold booklet. And he said, oh, you should start reading a chapter of the Bible each day. I said, okay, where should I start? No, he said, well, there's these three accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there, chapter a day, get to know Jesus. That was my beginning. So I would start reading a chapter of the Bible each day and, and try to understand how that fits into life. And gradually in time, God lets me be in, involved in some training programs or schooling that I really appreciated and travel to some other countries and, and the opportunity to serve in ministry. And it's an ongoing 
adventure, ongoing, growing understanding of what Christian life's about. And I thought, how do I frame this out in a way that I could share it to others? And I didn't have this down before, but the next one should be able to show us that as I lay out the frame, this frame for the Christian life, I start with glorify God. There's another famous uh, way of presenting uh, Christian teaching that talks about what's the chief end of man, of men and women. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, that's it. That's the overarching umbrella we're working under. Then, uh, on either, and then glorify, we need to make sense of that with glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? Because again, I don't know what that means. It sounds like a good church word, but I don't know what it meant. And so, okay, it means to make God known. What are our words and our ways? Make them known. Okay, I get it. If God is loving, we're supposed to be loving. If God is truthful, we're supposed to be truthful. If God is compassionate, we should be compassionate. Okay, we make him known in our words and our ways. Okay, the next, though, then, on either side has to do with uh, a way that God uh, himself, through Jesus, framed out what's the most important of the commandments in all the scriptures up to that point. If we go to the next one, it'll be saying, loving God and loving others. Because... They, Jesus was asked, what's the most important? There's a lot of information here. In fact, there was 613 laws. What's the most important of all that? He said, loving God and loving others. So I said, okay, I see. Glorifying God overall, everything's kind of holed up together between loving God and loving others. Okay, what then is the kind of a bottom line, kind of where the rubber meets the road of all this? And, you know, in this case, it, the loving God and loving others is, uh, and takes us to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. In fact, you know, let's go back with that one slide and we'll even read that passage together because uh, this is so crucial. This is the way Jesus summed it up and we can read this one. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and commandments hang on these two, or all the, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I said, okay, that's the, that's the framework on the side. But the next one with the rubber meat in the road is another key passage also from Matthew. And so we'll go ahead to uh, the Make Disciples passage is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And this is like Jesus' closing charge to those who are following him. And it says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's rubber meet in the road. And I thought, but I need to understand this more because I'm just starting to connect pieces. And as I try to understand what is this discipleship about, I've come to this way of uh, understanding it. Disciple means to be a learner, usually a learner of a specific teacher. So being like a learner of Jesus. Okay. And I tried to sum it up in a few words with a slide that says, you know, discipleship, just a couple of heads, says uh, discipleship involves learning to be more like Jesus, because Jesus himself said everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Learning to be more like Jesus, how? By applying lessons from the Old and New Testament and by living by the power of the Holy Spirit day by day and moment by moment. I remember there was a particular Bible teacher who actually did a message specifically taking just things that Jesus said. And some people have, in time, had Bibles that just highlight exactly what Jesus said. And so this guy would just read something that Jesus said, and then he'd say, he didn't really mean that, did he? And he'd pause, and he'd go, I think he did. 
And he reads something else that Jesus said and goes, he didn't really mean that, did he? He paused. He said, I think he did. Because some of the things that Jesus calls to seems like, whoa, we are being swept into something that's bigger than we would have imagined. And, God, and Jesus isn't just going to call us to do something, just to have a colossal to-do list only. He's saying, no, if you follow me, I'm going to give you the power to do what I'm talking about. So it's, we're trusting the Holy Spirit day by day and moment by moment. And as I tried to understand discipleship too, there was a, a particular professor who taught at Trinity, the seminary, where Ryan attended and, and Katie went to the Trinity College on the college side. And someone had told me, Rich, you really need to get a chance to read Dr. Coleman's book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. He basically just looked at those four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and pulled out principles and said, here's what you want to know about Jesus' way of working with the 12. And this stayed with me from the early part of the book. It said his life, Jesus' life, was ordered by his objective. Everything he did and said was a part of the whole pattern. It had significance because it contributed to the ultimate purpose of his life and redeeming the world for God. This was the motivating vision governing his behavior. His steps were ordered by it. Mark it well, not for one moment did Jesus lose sight of his goal. He had confidence in the future precisely because he lived according to that plan in the present. Weighing every alternative and variable factor in human experience, he conceived of a plan that would not fail. You know, when we're in education or business or family life, we lay out a plan. We don't necessarily have an absolute confidence it's not going to fail. It may be a trial and error thing. But when God's Son came to earth, he left us with a plan that would not fail. And so I think, that's significant. And you think, well, how did he do it? He said, well, he got about 12 guys together. Uh, some of them were, they had boats, they were fishermen. Some of them were in business, like they're a tax collector. And if you were going to change the whole world, if we really kind of took a roving mic and said, okay, you change the world, got a plan, and we started doing some video clips, would you just kind of rally together a couple handfuls of people? Would you grab someone who's got some boats, maybe here on Cayman? Would you go to someone in the business area, tax collector, accountant, financial man, and say, you know what? We're going to change this world. We're going to change around the globe. We're going to change history. That's what we're entrusting to you. We know it is. We're downline from that. We're a part of seeing a ripple effect across the world and a ripple effect across history. And in fact, I think that K-Man is well-positioned because of the many ways people are networked out. So get a chance to be a part of that kind of story. Now, as I looked at this, I thought, okay, I'm starting to understand what Jesus did in the, the Gospels. I'm going to build on. And there's a chart just a little bit here. This one, I thought, okay, what am I understanding? Well, Jesus says, I have all authority. So it isn't like someone just have, I'm winging it type of idea. No, this is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. He's the one who's calling us to this. Again, he's given us the power to do it. He's saying, obey. But across other parts of scriptures, we find the obedience to Jesus is a different kind of obedience. It's a love type of obedience. Because there's a way in which you're just purely fearful of the person, and you'll get it done, but your heart's not in it. But there's another type, and I think of a story of someone who uh, was going off to college, and they were kind of apprehensive, like, 
what kind of bottom line or question or questions or talk am I going to get from mom and dad about how I should act or not act during college? And they were kind of waiting, but it got to the very last day. And the parents came to this college student and said, just remember, your mom and I love you very much. That was a talk. It wasn't a powerful list of these are things that go wrong. It was just but your last memory of us as parents. You know we love you. Let be that. That's going to be what uh, kind of motivates you, guards you, protects you, guides you. And that's the kind of love that Jesus wants with our being. It's because he loves us so much. He knows what's best for us. He knows where the off-road things are just going to hurt us anyway. So because he loves us, he gives us commands that help us and step into his purposes. But that's the type of love and obedience that's wrapped together. But then there's a 2 Timothy 2.2. I realize if Jesus was saying this is meant to go out to all nations, there's a ripple effect. And I found, well, Paul wrote something along those lines too. It said, in the things you've heard, me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, I think, okay, there's a ripple effect. And as time went on, I'm still trying to figure out adding pieces to the puzzle. And then I hadn't been thinking about the Old Testament, how this ties in. But as I became a husband and a father, I don't know how you felt. Like, I'll say for the, the guy's side, when I had a, a, my first daughter, she seemed like so fragile. I don't know if I ever picked up anything so fragile. You know, I'm used to a football or you could have a rugby ball, American football, American football, I should be saying, a rugby ball. You could have a tuck in your arm. I had a daughter there, but I wasn't going to run through a crowd with that in my arm. With, with our Megan, I think, this is so fragile. The family part of then discipleship started having me think about what this is. If we go to the next one, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9, and I realize... God had this plan not only he lets us know through the New Testament, especially through Jesus' own life and Paul's teaching, this really connects. So here I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6 to give us uh, this context. It says, I see, God had this plan all along, and this connects together. It says, these are the commands. This is me to give the context. Moses was getting ready to help the Israelites go into the land. They had a chance early. They messed it up. Here's a chance to go in the land. Here's a second chance here. Here's what God's plan is. This becomes so important to the people of Israel. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God meant this, this, this way of loving him in relationship and then teaching, multiplying out. He had it wrapped together right from the core relationships that we have. And so I appreciate there's a, a writer in these days that said, 
there's a lot of emphasis in a church today on the importance uh, of discipleship within small groups. Pastors are crying out. Spiritual growth happens in the context of relationships. I know small groups are a healthy part of what's happening here. It says we have to live in authentic community with one another. It says God believes in discipleship small groups too. He just has another name for them. He calls them families. Thinking, ah, God had this wrapped together. Even though I came to the Lord from Larry the truck driver, was influenced by different Christian groups on the college campus, that I realized, wait a minute. God had this built into just the, the very way we live our life. And as I understand that, I'm still searching, okay, how do I apply this? And I, if we go to the next slide, I said, I realize now this Old New Testament part, what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and Deuteronomy 6, fits together. That all authority Jesus had, because what he says in Deuteronomy 6, there's one God. We see these other commands, fear him, obey him. Again, the obedience, teaching Jesus says we're supposed to teach everything he's taught, teach people to obey, and then teach next generation, has the multiplication. This is just an interwoven plan and a simple one. And the next slide then helps us with saying, well, how do we do this? Well, there's these four God-filled moments, even at home. And this home can be whether we're married or single, with children or without. You know, as we're sitting at home, you know, some, as one habit, we use some illustrations from uh, our family life. We have uh, a, t- a practice. We figured, Paul had said, uh, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we said, we're supposed to be thankful always. Well, maybe at the end of the day, when we're together for dinner, we'll say, uh, you know, what can you thank the Lord for today? And we, the girls go through. We all get a chance to share. And there's days we have hard things we share too, and we pray about those. But try to remember the thankful things. It's just a habit. And in our family, a lot of times we'll say, well, we're thankful for our family. And that's, we didn't give the girls a list like, you better say that or anything. They just say that. We're encouraged. But they also say in our family, and thank you for needles. And you say, who's needles? Well, needles is an adopted family member for us. Needles had been a hedgehog in our sister-in-law's uh, school. Our sister-in-law teaches at a school in the science department, and, and Needles was in a grade school classroom. The only thing is, as a nocturnal animal, there was a challenge here for Needles. Uh, the, the, grade sco- the grade schoolers were not necessarily uh, thinking, Needles needs to sleep now. So Needles became a little bit, uh, I don't know, and Needles needed like counseling or something after a while because Needles was having issues by being woken up middle of the night. Of course, you and I would too. If we were woken up immediately, you know, every day by a bunch of uh, children every morning, it would start to give us twitches too. And so Needles had that type of issue. And then, but our girls feel like Needles is part of the family. So we'll hear thankful family, thankful for Needles, thankful for other things. But that thankful part is one way that we work out just um, uh, the at-home part of this. And then the during transition times, just the way that, you know, you've got the, the I worship, you know, we'll have Christian music playing in the car. Or, right? So that can be just part of our, um, the way where we're traveling. It's actually the way we've read Narnia, too. If we're ever on a family trip, just driving even a short distance, we may read a chapter out of uh, Narnia and, or some other book. There's other famous ones like Pilgrim's Progress or another book, Hind's Feet in High Places. And, and Hind's Feet is a young lady character who's the lead whose name is Much Afraid. And Much Afraid is trying to go uh, with the shepherd, the good shepherd, to the high places. And, and along the way, Much Afraid has, has challenges from a group called the Fearings that just accentuate the fearfulness that she already has. And, but she's, she's going to, I won't tell the way ending, but it's a good ending. 
And so, you know, we read those type of stories. It becomes part of our, our traveling time. At the, the start of a day, it may be very simple because sometimes you're rushing in the morning. For us, uh, you know, just trying to make sure that girls get to school. But maybe as simple as saying, Lord, please guide and bless and protect our girls. You know, at the end of the night, I've heard some others have uh, uh, used this verse. And I've been, I started working on memorizing it, but I don't always have it down, so I'll make sure I turn to it. I might say the end of the night, sometimes the beginning of the day. Maybe if I've even, you know, missed them, they've got to hurry out quicker than I could have time with them. I'll take this one from number six and just pray it for our girls. Say, Lord, please bless and keep our girls. Lord, please make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, please turn your face toward them and give them peace. And so just a way, in a simple way, at the beginning of the day or end of the day, to tie in how does your faith touch the other days and see what's happening. And again, it was like, maybe make so much sense to others, but made a huge difference to me of thinking that idea of going to be at church for that one or two hours during the week, realizing, wait a minute, God had a plan to multiply our relationship with him across seven days. So as we're doing these habits, whether individually, a single person, a leader as a couple, leader with children, we've just let that relationship with the Lord flavor our lives. And that's what the Lord wants that love relationship with us that flavors our lives. Now, Dr. Coleman, who I referred to earlier, who uh, you know, so influenced my life, maybe I'll even give a little bit more introduction to him. When I was exposed to Dr. Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, that has to, uh, talks about how Jesus worked with the 12. Someone had said, Rich, you should read Dr. Coleman's book and go visit him. He lives in Chicago, you know, close to you. So I said, okay, I read the book. And I went to see him, but he said, but you know, when you go see Dr. Coleman, there's something different about him. You know, when we all go to be with the Lord, we're going to be transformed. But some are going to be less transformed than others. And Dr. Coleman's one of those. And I never had heard an intro like that. He said, this guy just really walks with God. You can just sense it. So I didn't go a chance to see him. And one of the things he said in it, and he was a living illustration of it, says, one living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. So we could have 100 lectures only, but a person living it out has a contagious ripple effect. And I sense that, Dr. Coleman. I want to do, as a part of this morning, we're talking about how this, can, this uh, family discipleship, life discipleship, really, seven day a week, how does this work out, whether one, as we just do our personal devotions or we do it in any level of group, as a couple, as friends, as, as uh, families. I want to do a devotion. So we're just going to turn the theater for a moment away from a theater, and this is like a, a front room or living room, and you say, you know what, Rich? I have never done this kind of, I mean, family devotion on my own, me reading the book on my own, I can just about handle that, or maybe I haven't even thought about that before. But now you're saying, I'm, as a parent perhaps, as a husband wife, we're going to do something like this together, I'm getting that adrenaline surge of fight or flee, and I'm thinking flee right now because this is a little bit more that I'm ready to bite off. I want to model how it's, it's a lot easier than you first imagine. And once you realize that the right tools are out there, you can track with it. And so this is a type of uh, example that shows that you got a Bible passage, you got a story, you get some questions for food for thought. So this one's titled, One Step at a Time. And it says, read Psalm 119, verses 129, to 136. So I turn there and usually open with a prayer and say, Lord, 
Your word is living and active. Please let it be living and active as we hear from you today from Psalm 119. Amen. And I read it. It says, uh, Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me me from the oppression of men, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Then after the passage, there's a story. Again, I I love songs and stories. And so here's a story. Will I really get all covered with black soot? Asked Jake excitedly. Uh, Uncle Robert nodded and Jake grinned. Uh, He was spending a week with his uncle and aunt. Uncle Robert was a coal miner and had gotten permission to take Jake down into the mines with him. As he drove along, Uncle Robert whistled, then hummed, and finally began to sing. He sang a song Jake had never heard before. The, The future dark before us lies. The path is hidden from our eyes. And Jesus leads while faith he tries, just one step at a time. He sang the chorus twice more, just one step at a time, just one step at a time. That's the way he leads to glory, just one step at a time. The tune was a catchy one, and Jake found himself humming too. When they reached the mine, Jake was given a hat with a light on it. Then he and all the men descended uh, by an elevator deep into the earth. Wow, Jake exclaimed. It's awful dark down here. Yes, it is, agreed Uncle Robert. Without the light on your hat, you wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your face. The miners moved to various positions, and Jake went along with his uncle. After taking only a few steps, Jake stumbled. Uncle Robert helped him regain his balance. The light on your hat will guide you if you let it, Jake, but it lights your way only just a step or two at a time, said Uncle Robert. So don't try to look far ahead of you. Jake nodded, and with a little practice, he was able to walk confidently. On the way home that afternoon, Jake talked excitedly about the experience in the mine. It's so dark down there, but I learned to walk in the light, he exclaimed. You sure did, agreed uh, Uncle Robert. You know, mining is something like living for God. I pray you'll learn to walk in the light too. Jesus doesn't usually show us very far in advance what he wants us to be doing. He wants us to take just one step at a time for him. That's like your song, the one you were singing this morning, said Jake. Uncle Robert nodded. He began to sing, and Jake joined him. As the two dirty miners pulled into the yard, they both were singing loudly. That's the way he leads to glory, just one step at a time. And then there's questions at the end. Sometimes just food for thought. Do you wonder what life holds for you? Do you wonder what you do for a living? Whom you'll marry? How long you'll live? You don't need to know all that right now. You don't need to know what you'll be doing necessarily next year, next month, or even tomorrow. God often uses his word to direct you. Discover what he says in the Bible. Read it to yourself and listen when it's taught. Then walk in the light of what God reveals. That is, obey him. Trust him for the future, just one step at a time. And then one of us would close in prayer. In our family, there's five of us, so we tend to rotate. It's uh, 
Daddy on Monday, Mommy on Tuesday, Megan on Wednesday, Shannon on Thursday, Aaron on Friday, and we rotate whoever senses they want to do it on Saturday or Sunday. And it could be a prayer, it could be a song. Sometimes like we do like the iTunes thing, there may be some new worship music that we saw on YouTube and we plug that in and that's the way we close. And so that's as simple as it is. And that can be done again personally as a couple, as a family. But then if we're doing that, we've just multiplied the impact of our commitment to the Lord times seven. And with that, I know I need to field some harder questions then too because I don't mind the harder questions. In fact, it was harder questions. I was asking Larry the truck driver to understand what was going on. And they say, you know, Rich, though, but we go to church on Sunday or maybe even the children, they get religious education during the week. Do we need to add that stuff? You know, and there was an illustration that I wound up reading recently from a British poet named Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um, uh, he once had a discussion with a man who had just that type of challenge, like wondering, I don't know if I need to go much further uh, with this. And he, actually, that man firmly believed that children should not be given religious instruction, but should be free to choose their own religious faith when they reach maturity. Coleridge uh, didn't agree with him on the spot, but later invited the man to the poet's somewhat neglected garden. And the visitor said, you call this a garden? He said, there's nothing here but weeds. Coleridge wisely said, well, you see, I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I just wanted to give the garden a chance to express itself. He tried to get his point across, you know, through a simple illustration, but that there really is in giving a direction, especially in a direction of walking with the Lord, there could probably be nothing more important in life. And then uh, with that, another question would be, but Rich, isn't it one thing to try to open a picture and say, you're walking into it to walk with the Lord. What if it was a bigger thing? What if it was a more challenging thing? Have you had to walk through that? And it would be a great bottom line question. I'd be open to it. And so I want to take you back to an early episode for our family of when something uh, was part of the path that led our family to serve in Japan for four and a half years. You know, when April and I were first married, we had been open if we were led to be in some other part of the world for God's purposes, but there's no one place that stood out. But after graduating from a master's degree, uh, I went to serve at his church as a pastor of student ministries and administration. As I was doing that, there was an intern, again, from Trinity, Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School, Ryan had studied, and we hit it off really well. In fact, the church hit it off with this intern from Japan so well that the leaders in Japan said, hey, can we send over uh, a home state to a group of students, like teenagers? And then the lead pastor kind of dubbed me and says, you're the host of the home state tour. And so I said, okay, great. And so we did things like youth activities and we did touring in Chicago and we did a vacation Bible school and let just the students be in, in homes to get a flavor of life in another country. And it was a good experience. But also around that same general time, we had done some material that I've seen on the recommended resources on the website by uh, Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And maybe some of you have done it. With Experiencing God, if you boil it down, it says, find out what God's doing and get behind it. Now you can break it down into more. And so we, there's actually about three months worth of lessons. And so we said, we're going to be doing these three months worth of lessons for the junior high, senior high adults. And we'll all kind of get a, this flavor of experiencing God. And we told the students, you know, you'll hear about this once a week in our lessons, but if you're willing to go the extra step, we'll buy the devotional booklet 
and you could do a devotional booklet. I think it was one of those ones where you do five devotions across seven days, kind of give you a little bit of buffer if you needed it. So I said, if you're willing, we'll buy the booklets. Well, about a dozen students said, yeah, we'll do the daily devotions too. And so one of those, and we said on top of buying the booklet, then we'll have one special time a week, like a small group, where we'll discuss more deeply what was going on in your devotions. So I think it was that very first time having devotions with the students that the students are saying, okay, first point is God's always at work. I said, yep, that's right. I said, okay, that means God's at work in Chicago, where we're at. I said, yeah, that's right, that would be apply. I said, okay, next. And you could feel kind of, that, kind of a youth group type of meandering thing. I said, okay, so what does God have to do with the Chicago Bulls? Because that was a really Michael Jordan era. You could kind of feel the off-ramp. And then the next person, before I could even answer, what does it have to do with Chicago Bulls? goes, and what does God have to do with Dennis Rodman? I don't know how many of you remember Dennis Rodman. He energetic ball player, helped the Bulls a lot, but he had issues. I mean, he, he, had, he could probably put, I forget, at least three, four different uh, fluorescent colors of his hair. He would dress in a woman's uh, wedding dress for um, whatever reason. And, and so Dennis had issues. And so the students had... Uh, you know, got that far, and I just got to take this as a Holy Spirit prompt because I remembered we had just done some training that said, if you have, want to influence someone in your life, that maybe it's just a little further off, you want to put it in written form, family, friend, you could write seed sowing letters or nurturing letters or reaping letters. And so I said to students, do you want, do you want to connect God's kingdom and Dennis Robin? And they go, yeah. And they go, how? And I said, said, what about those letters we learned about? They go, we don't know Dennis Rodman. said, right, which we start with. said, well, how about those seed sowing letters? They said, okay, we'll do it. So what if we get a special one of our times together specifically to writing letters to Dennis Rodman? So we got about 30 or 40 letters to Dennis Rodman. I said, you could tell him you like his chemistry in the team, you like his rebounding, you like his energy. You could like other things, his hair color as far as I'm concerned. But you could invite him to church. Just don't ask him to speak, okay? And so, and so we, we had all the letters, and I thought, okay, I want to give these students the best chance that Dennis reads these letters. Because someone famous, what's the chances? Maybe they'll really see the letters. But I had worked for two years at a Christian college called Wheaton College in administration, and I had met the Chicago Bulls chaplain's wife who worked in administration there too. So I called her up. And I said, Effie, I got about 30 or 40 letters uh, for Dennis Rodman. I wonder if your husband would help us. And she just started laughing. She goes, oh, sure, let me put them on the phone. And so I talked to the Bulls chaplain. And I said, I've got these letters. Would you help us? And he goes, yeah. He goes, this is an interesting youth group. What else do you do? <laughs> I said, well, we've got well, doing a homestay before long with these Japanese students. And he, and he said one of those off-the-cuff remarks became a huge intersection in our lives. He said, if you ever go to Japan, I'll go with you. And I thought, you're willing we're just start this relationship with these churches in Japan. Would you really? He goes, honestly, there's enough people have come through Chicago from Japan. They said, we should please come visit our country. And he said, I'd go with you, Rich. I said, okay, let's work on that. And that wound up a year later being two weeks worth of basketball clinics in Osaka. A great experience. And then it was not only the Chicago Bulls chaplain, his wife who sang black gospel music, a former Chicago Bulls ball player, a high school basketball coach, and myself. I mean, it was happening where Japanese students didn't know better. I was just tall enough. When they were having the Bulls chaplain, the former ball, ball player, sign people's shoes, they asked me to sign shoes. Oh, okay, I put Rich McLaughlin, John 3.16. <laughs> so, 
So uh, it was a great time. But both chaplains said, you know, Rich, there's something going on here. Chicago and Osaka are sister cities. I'd do something like this again. Chicago Bulls, still famous. Michael's in his second set of three, three-peats of him you know, winning championships. I'd do this again. He goes, in fact, here's what I'll recommend. Michael Jordan's mother really knows the Lord. And she wrote a book, Family First. It's got Bible verses in there and spiritual principles. You might want to talk to Mrs. Jordan. I did. Mrs. Jordan said, and the pastors in Osaka said, you know what, if we translate the book, it'd be more than just a visit. We leave something with people. So that's what happened. Family first got translated to Japanese, and then we went over about 10 days this time to Osaka and Hiroshima where the bomb fell, one of the two places, and, and Mrs. Jordan speaking there. Again, incredible response. In Japan, if you get about 2,000 Jap- books of Christian nature out, it's like platinum. It's like you've just really seen a lot go out. In that 10 days, we saw like 2,000 books go out. Really encouraging. Well, then the next time I go to Japan on a short-term trip, it's really simple. It's a, a matter of just a vacation Bible school and a weekend youth camp, like for teenagers, with special English flavor. You know, so we're speaking in English to give them some practice. And that was good. And then we take a year off. But our friends had told us, Rich, i got to tell you a story. You know the Whoopi Goldberg movie Sister Act? That's really big around now. And in fact, what's happening is Japanese people are starting black gospel music groups completely disassociated with the church at all. They just, because usually you have to kind of stay in who you are in Japan. You stay kind of whatever your business is, your school is. When you get black gospel music, you could just kind of let her rip. And so they like that. And they said, if it's happening without any association with church, you find a black gospel musician, that'd be good. Let's do something with the church. I wound up going to a conference and I saw a black gospel musician named Arnell Harris and he sings, I, I see him go off stage, and I kind of like, like here, I know, I think that's where he'd go. I just beeline, go right away, and I met Larnell, and said, Larnell, would you ever, go to, have you ever been to Japan? He goes, no, closest Korea. Would, I said, would you go with us to do some concerts? He goes, here's my agent's number. That became six concerts in Osaka, Hiroshima, another smaller city in, in Japan. April, my wife, went with me on that first trip. That's what led eventually to four and a half years in Japan. But those things, I couldn't imagine some of those windows that opened. And God, I sensed, opened them. And now, fast forward, this past year, I've been doing these online courses, writing a family ministry course, a children's ministry course, teaching the Bible, small groups, um, taught that one, and that was written by someone else and also taught one on uh, spiritual formation. But my boss knew that after writing these courses, I'd be looking for something by summertime. And that's where through a close relationship that Ryan and, and Katie have, they said, well, here, this guy might consider coming down to Cayman. And, uh, and so we're here. And what we read about in that devotion, about one step at a time, these steps got us as far as a plane trip to Cayman. What God does next for our family, or can't see it, but we'll take that next step. But you know, it's not just the folks who sit here on the stage or stand up in front that can open into that window and step into it and you walk out these doors, whatever it looks like, a conversation, a friendship, at school, in the neighborhood, at work, there may be something that there'll be that window that opens. You step into it. There's w- wonderful ways, like the Holy Spirit breeze, kind of the sea breeze comes through, and you catch the sails of what God's doing. And we trust that that will be the case for you this week, this month, and what's yet ahead. Thanks for the time together. Let's part my story.